Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, The Rundown. It's been a long time, it feels like a long time since we last one we've done this. It feels like it has been a while, lots of news to, to catch up on, which means I think we're going to be chock full today of updates. Yeah, it's uh, it still doesn't seem to be slowing down, does it? You know, we kind of said last time that we could do this every day, and uh, it's just been continuing to gain pace over the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah, with uh, reInvent happening uh, now last week and news and other fronts, Google, other players as well, uh, we got a lot to discuss. Yeah, and uh, boys and girls, for those listening, we, you'll notice that we didn't have a uh, episode last week. What we did is we put uh, last week's episode out on Friday. Uh, that was with uh, Steve Milner and um, Marcus Finley of uh, Amy Systems <clears throat> discussing the launch of Uma. I was at Madfest last week to launch Uma uh, with the Amy Systems guys hosted a panel discussion there which was really really interesting lots of interesting people on there Muckle Muckle Davishan from uh, BBC James Poulter ex-Lego Jess Williams uh, of Aperlo and uh, Steve Milner was there as well Um, really really interesting event really interesting discussion and Uma check out the episode with Uma because it does look like a really really good uh, assistant Uh, and yeah the week before that I was hosting Mobile UX London so it's been all systems go and Dustin you've been to it sounds like a film your last couple of weeks five cities in one week or five cities in two weeks isn't it five cities in two weeks five cities in one week might be a little bit overkill (laughs) yeah between thanksgiving here in the u.s uh reinventing las vegas work uh taking me different places as well have a voice search uh webinar coming up which is digital but needed to, to get in there to record that as well it's it's been a busy few weeks here as well. <laughs> and to, to coincide with all of this, we've had a sick baby over the last uh, the last couple of weeks, culminating yes, uh, last week rather. I had to I had to leave Madfest early because uh, uh, he'd been taken to the hospital because he was getting that bad. Um, and I was supposed to be hosting the uh, Google Dev Fest on Saturday, and regrettably had to pull out of that because to take care of Artie and Gemma had caused something. So it was all. It was all a bit manic uh, the last few weeks, so it's been, yeah, it's been absolutely crazy, but but here we are. And as I say, the, 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 the industry seems to be just gathering pace and it's it's not stopping whatsoever. And it sounds as though, I wasn't, he wasn't at reInvent, but it sounds as though reInvent was absolutely mental on the voice front. Yeah, reInvent was great. I would say, this is my second year going, I would say 2017 was probably more packed with announcements and news. Uh, 2018 probably showed a little bit more maturity in what the voice side was presenting. And and my assumption, at least, is that they wanted to get into a wider audience uh, beyond just the people who are already building for voice. So I think some of the big takeaways that I had were uh, there was a clear focus on APL, the Alexa presentation language, which we've talked about before. Uh, But if you haven't heard that episode, it's essentially a markup language for the show, for the spots, and for Fire TV and and perhaps other displays soon as well. Uh, That was released recently, so that makes a lot of sense why there were a lot of sessions on that. But another thing that had a ton of sessions and a ton of interest as well was making money. How do you make money with skills? Uh, in-skill purchases was a very big focus on the Alexa side this year. 
queues out the door. I seen your photo on Twitter. There was like literally a queue like out the door waiting for that session, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And usually the way that reinvicta works is a it's pretty wild. Is you can pre-book your spaces. Uh, you can pre-reserve some spaces and sessions, uh, but you have to do it within the first two minutes, or else they all close up. Uh, and even with those reservations, you still had lines, uh, multiple dozens of people deep, waiting to get into those in-skill purchases sessions. Wow. I've never actually been, oh, I've never even been, I've, well, let's go right the way back. I was going to say I've never been a reinvent, and I thought, well, I've never even been to Vegas, and I thought, well, hang on, I've never even been to America. <laughs> so what what kind of makeup is reinvent? I know it's a massive event, and obviously it's not just voice. There's absolutely all kinds of Amazon stuff going on, but what is the makeup of the kind of people that go there, and what level of detail are, are they kind of discussing in terms of the voice stuff? It's a massive event, absolutely. If you think about AWS, the, the services that they have there, uh, I don't know how many services there are, but there are certainly dozens, maybe even more than a hundred different services there. And so most of these are not appealing to people who work in voice. Uh, most of these are, you know, site reliability engineers, the, the people who are more on the infrastructure side. And so most of the people that you're going to be speaking with and, and meeting with and interacting with at a reInvent are going to be people on that side. However, you do have this very core contingent of people who build Alexa skills, who build on AVS, who build for voice, who are going to be there as well. Uh, one of the most interesting sessions I went to was one that I actually thought was about Alexa, but ended up being about uh, a connected cars thing that Amazon is rolling out that can integrate with Alexa, but Alexa is just a very small part of that. So you had this really wide mixture of people, and I think you saw that a little bit in the sessions as well. There were certainly some sessions that went deep. The way that the way that Amazon describes the sessions is sort of uh, college course level. You got the 100 level for the beginners, 200, 300, all the way up to 400. And some of those 400 ones get into some very deep detail for people who are already skill builders. And then you have the 100s and 200s for people who are, who are really just getting started and want to learn a little bit more. Mm. Yeah, I can, imagine, I can imagine it being a huge event. For those people who are not as familiar with AWS, I mean, just looking at the website and you're looking under, under the products tab and there's just like hundreds and hundreds, as you said, Dustin, hundreds of sort of like tools and stuff like that from from kind of AR and VR and blockchain and machine learning and, and robotics and satellite stuff. It's absolutely vast, isn't it? So I can imagine that it might have been quite a challenge kind of having to pick your way through the, uh, through the agenda, was it? A little bit. Uh, I think for me specifically and for a lot of the people that were in the sessions with me as well, we went straight for the Alexa ones. But to give you an insight into how massive the scope of reInvent is, uh, this year I believe they were at five different venues uh, throughout Los Angeles. So five different venues. Uh, someone asked me before I went, he goes, well, are you going to be attending the voice track? And I go, there's not really a track. There's just hundreds of different sessions. And, and you make uh, time for what you can make time for. The one thing that was interesting to me and probably shouldn't have been surprising considering the cost of the booths there, but also goes to show that we have a long ways to go in this space is when you walked to the expo hall, there were no companies focused on voice. 
so there were tons of companies there. Uh, even Capital One had a booth, for example. Capital One, this large bank in the U.S., their booth actually said very clearly, why in the world is Capital One here? Uh, uh, but they, they were there, but you didn't have any companies that were focused as vendors just on voice. Uh, and so that, I think, shows a little bit how nascent this, this industry, this, this uh, community, all of this is. And there's still a ways to go. But I think the sessions were great. My favorite one was probably one that went into detail on how Alexa handles uh, the SLU, the spoken language understanding. So it talked a little bit about the ASR, the speech recognition part of it. But the part that I found most interesting was the intent and entity matching. I think that's something that had a lot of clear takeaways for the people listening to this. Mm. Do you want to kind of tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I was not aware of is that Alexa matches intents on two different levels. You've got uh, what what are called FSTs, which you can essentially just think of as rule-based matching, right? Uh, you're going through and you're saying what the person said, or more accurately, what the ASR understood, does that match any rule that the user provided? The tricky thing there is the FSTs, the rule-based is very accurate, right? As you would imagine, because it's a rule. The problem is that if you have no matches or alternatively you have more than one match, it doesn't use the rule-based system at all, right? So you have a situation where you accidentally uh, you accidentally add an utterance that conflicts with, say, the Amazon.stop intent. And this is easier to do than you might think because they're always updating that Amazon.stop intent. And so all of a sudden you have two matches on the rule-based system. And so when that happens or when there's no matches, it will fall back to a statistical model. And so the statistical model is not as accurate. And importantly as well, important to note is that the built-in intents do not get matched by the statistical model. So if you really wanted that to go to the Amazon.stop intent, if you were conflicting with it somewhere else, it's not going to go there. Another thing that they brought up as well is that, that I think is very relevant to skill builders is the entity matching. And so the entity matching is those slot values. And what they said is that you are better off if you, let's say, for example, uh, you wanted to do first names and your skill was only for, say, the Beatles, right? So you've got four names right there. You've got four first names. You're better off creating your own custom slots than using the built-in Amazon uh, .first name slot type. So why, why is that then? Yeah, my thinking was that you would be better off using the built-in slots because I imagine that that was going to be optimized uh, on the ASR, the speech recognition side of it. And potentially you can, if, if someone says Bob and you, there's no beetle called Bob, if you're using Amazon's list, then at least you can potentially return 
Bob and say, sorry, we don't have anyone called Bob, but have you tried Paul McCartney or whatever? Is that kind of the thing? I mean, you're still going to, because what we need to remember, right, is that the slots are not enums. Essentially, if somebody asks for a slot value that's outside of that list, Amazon's still going to match on it, right? Uh, The thing is with the speech recognition, the number of, if you essentially take a pie, right? And a pie adds up to 100%, right? Then the number of slot samples that you provide essentially divides that pie evenly. So if you added 100 uh, samples, each of those is going to have roughly a 1% chance before you get into that speech recognition side of it. And then that's going to boost it up or lower it. So if you had just those four Beatles in there, it's going to very, very heavily weighted towards those four compared to if you had, I don't know how many names. Let's imagine that there's 5,000 names for that default built-in slot. So it will still match outside of there if you said, if you said Lisa, for example, which is very different than all the Beatles names. But if you said Bob, it might actually match on John because that's so so weighted on that front. So the, the big takeaway is uh, when you can, when you know what people are going to say, use your custom slots. Right. Because that increases the chance of Alexa prioritizing those over and above what it already has. Right, exactly. That's interesting. So it's not really a case of it being able to match it better. It's more a case actually of it being weighted more heavily if you provide your own things that you're expecting people to say. A little bit. I think it's it's maybe different ways of thinking of the same thing. It's going to match it better because it prioritizes it better. It's going to take that sound in and go, okay, well, I've got these four words that I need to match this sound to. Uh, before I match to anything else versus I've got these thousand words I need to match to. So let me try and choose Bob versus Robert or what have you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that, I mean, we jumped in there. Let's take it back slightly and and kind of maybe, I mean, then we'll get back into the, we'll kind of do a bit of a wave. So we'll we'll come up for some air and then we'll get back into some more of this detail. So, Davis Bitskin, I haven't had a chance to read um, or to watch his full keynote rather, but you've been kind of documenting and we'll put the links to all of this in, in the show notes of all of the kind of blogs you were writing throughout kind of reInvent. Um, and Davis Bitskin in his keynote was offering a few sort of statistics which I found was quite interesting. So to give everyone a bit of an idea of the current state of play, uh, you said earlier on just there, Dustin, that reInvent this year feels as though kind of the, the whole kind of Echo or Alexa kind of ecosystem has got a lot more mature. So Davis Bisky was kind of, for those that don't know, he's the head evangelist um, at, uh, at Amazon Alexa. He's kind of offering a couple of numbers, which is, is rare that you, you don't get these numbers all the time out of Amazon. It takes something like this for them to do these kind of presentations to give you any kind of sniff in terms of the numbers. But Black Friday was last week. The UK sold out of Echo Dots. On Amazon, so that gives you an indication of just how kind of how popular this kind of stuff is. And then some of the numbers that Davis Bitsky that you've documented, Dustin, was um, four out of five Echo users have used Alexa skills. So that's kind of like a bit counter to what we heard earlier on in the year, where there was studies that had been done that showed that something I can't remember the exact figures, but it was like a really low number of people even know what skills are. Um, 
you know, there's there's hundreds of uh, hundreds of thousands of third-party Alexa developers, over fifty thousand skills. I think the fifty thousand skills has been published by Voicebot uh, over the last few weeks as well. Tens of millions of devices, and and the third-party skill usage has grown one hundred and fifty percent year over year so it sounds and, and um, credit to you Dustin for putting this down it sounds as though I've got all the knowledge where all I'm doing is reading your blog post here but it's, <laughs> it sounds as though things are definitely in terms of the adoption in terms of the usage it seems as though by looking at these numbers that things have kind of taken another step forward I think so if you compare that for example the third party skill usage 150% year over year this compares in the fall, the number that was provided there was 50% year over year. So that's growing quite rapidly. The question that I always have when I hear these numbers is how does skill usage compare to device growth, right? So if skill usage has grown 150% year over year, but the overall device count has grown 200% year over year, right? Then is that is the growth keeping up with the growth in overall Alexa usage, uh, or does it even matter? Right, if if voice usage overall is growing and that's leading to third party application, whether it's skills, whether it's actions, whether it's whatever, does that really matter? Whether that's keeping pace? I think one of the things that you touched on as well is the four out of five Echo customers have used skills versus not many people know what they are. Uh, I think that's an open question as well, is do people really need to know what skills are? Uh, do people need to know or do they just need to use them? And perhaps that's a branding attempt. Perhaps that's a uh, e-commerce sell event, uh, e-commerce play eventually. So I think those two aren't necessarily in, uh, in competition there. However, I think those numbers are overall pretty good, as you would expect by numbers that they're they're giving on stage, and not going to to give the ones that are a bit of a downer. Yeah, so so that's interesting. That so you were saying there around. Um, does it matter whether people know whether or not they're using skills? And I think that, and and uh, does it mean that more people now know about skills versus more people that that didn't? know about them from the last day we had kind of in the summer and I think what what has happened it really is and it's reminded me of the conversation we had with John Campbell we was talking about voice search um, is that implicit invocations seem to be happening more and more you know it seems to be that we that you're getting dumped into skills and actions I know we're talking about specifically Alexa here but the, the implicit invocation side of things is happening more and more so if I say Alexa play in fact let's try it now Alexa Alexa, play the BBC Radio 1. Did you know you can link your BBC account to oh, this skill? Are you hearing that? I've sent details to your mm. Alexa app. You'll find them on the app home screen. Mm. Here's Radio 1. That was a bit... Uh, the BBC. That's like a pop-up in the front of a mobile app, but it's just harder to get away from it. All right, Alexa. Alexa. Stop. So that was just me asking for the BBC skill. I've got some problems and queries with that kind of interruption at the beginning there. I don't know if I like that or not. That's like <laughs> when you open an app and there's a pop-up, it's very easy to get rid of it, isn't it? Whereas when it's audio, it needs to be 
like rapid because it's it's intrusive but either way the point i'm making is that the invocations the implicit invocations seem to be happening more and more so whether or not people know they're using skills or don't know that is besides the point really i think that the maybe what the broad takeaway of that is is that people potentially are using skills in general more regardless of whether they know it or not <laughs> right right exactly which maybe pretends that they are using alexa more overall mm yeah that's a good point and then in terms of the numbers you know what what percentage of of um device owners are using skills and, and what percentage of device device owners are actually even using the devices <laughs> um in the first place because i think that what what happens obviously this time of year everyone's been buying them on black friday my you know we've got my dad one for his birthday um whether or not he's going to use it is is unknown uh, i think you might do over time but um we're, we're gonna have um it was supposed to be this year but in reality it's probably going to look like next year now hemel jill and shakib labidi and they've been doing a load of research into um the adoption and usage of smart speakers and i think i've quoted their research so many times we definitely need to get them on but it's interesting what they found was that uh when people first get hold of a, a smart speaker they end up experimenting quite a lot and using it quite a lot and then it goes through these dips where they don't use it that much and then something happens like someone come rounds or something like that and then they tend to use it a little bit more and it spikes again um so it's kind of like it's almost as if when people buy or get hold of a smart speaker they and i know that it's bigger than smart speakers and alexa's bigger than smart speakers but i would imagine at this moment in time most of the alexa usage is still happening on smart speakers um over time it seems that usage grows it's not like a phone where you get it and then you're using it and then that's it. You you have a kind of a, a constant usage pattern from the minute you get it to the to the minute you change it. It's like the usage tends to grow steadily. And there's other research and, and, and slides that I've used in, in presentations and stuff which shows that light the difference between light users and, and really heavy users and that light users use it mostly for music and then really, really heavy users use it for all kinds of stuff like all the interactive stuff around like calling people or uh, setting reminders or what, what have you. And you skills a lot more in games and stuff so i think that that those numbers all sound really interesting i think you're 100 right in terms of those questions around what it actually means but i think that it doesn't really matter i don't think necessarily if, if the numbers of sales are there and i think it's just going to take a while for people to start using the actual functionality um but it, yeah it's just kind of like uh everyone's looking for the highlights aren't they like x amount of skills used and x amount of things sold and x amount of all this lot whereas i think that the, the broader trend seems to take a bit of a while for people to start using it so i think that there's yeah i don't know it just might be um still early days as you were saying earlier on yeah, for sure. And the thing to note is a bit, the, the title of Abitsky's talk, which was Alexa Everywhere. And I think that's interesting and, and to crib it a little bit from, from Dave. It, it isn't so much Alexa Everywhere, it's voice everywhere, right? We had a recent chat about uh, Samsung Bixby and how Samsung can really take Bixby everywhere to all types of different devices. Alexa is certainly doing the same as well. There was some other recent news, uh, I think maybe just yesterday, out of France where this large French telecom, large cable company has decided to implement a voice into their set-top box. They've released the first set-top box, a new set-top box for their company, I think in six or seven years, and they've added their own vocal assistant, but also added a Alexa to it as well. So I think what we're really seeing is that more and more devices are seeing this built in 
And so people are going to be using it perhaps, or they're going to at least have access to it, even if they're not going out and purchasing an Echo device specifically. Mm. And that's, it's interesting. We said at the beginning, we haven't done a rundown for a while. The last rundown we did, we announced the AVS for set-top box. Well, we didn't announce it, but we, we, we were talking about AVS for set-top boxes. Um, and it seems as though that's the thing that's been implemented uh, re- relatively quickly, I would have said. It's only in the last kind of like four or five weeks or so. Yeah, I'm sure, the, uh, I'm sure Free knew about it ahead of time, uh, for sure. Uh, and I'm not sure that Free is using AVS for set-top boxes, though it would certainly make sense if they were. Uh, but it's it's a very interesting uh, interesting announcement. I know people in France were very interested to hear because it wasn't only uh, the Alexa side of it, but also Free announced the partnership with this French uh, speaker maker as well. They make really high-end speakers. And so that's going to be built into the set-top box as well, which uh, will for an extra cost, which would give people an extra incentive to use their voice, to use that as a media hub. And I think you're going to see this more and more. It's going to be built into cars. It's going to be built into vehicles. Uh, It's going to be really in a lot of different places that it wasn't, uh, it isn't now. And we wouldn't even imagined two years ago. Mm. I seen an advert on uh, TV and it was for the fire stick with Alexa built in. I was so close to getting one in Black Friday um, and I ended up getting the show too instead, which we can maybe talk about a little bit because that's quite a smart device. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because like the the Alexa anywhere is obviously the kind of the strategy, isn't it? There's there's been so many things over the last few weeks, and we won't have time to cover them all in terms of what they've released. But there's been things around, you know, a music API, and then there's um you know they've, they've released the the ability for people to connect Alexa to Bluetooth headphones and stuff like that. And it's like it's the the Fire Stick example was was a a really unique kind of um, visualization for me because I was saying uh, a while back uh, on one of the other rundowns that that multimodal devices and devices with screens mean that we might have to kind of rebuild the internet and it's it's interesting because I mentioned they got, I got the new Echo Show and when you ask Alexa for for some kind of shopping item that what you get presented with is a quite it's quite clearly purpose-built for the Echo Show. It's Amazon's kind of website and it's Amazon's kind of like shop, but it's it's quite clearly designed specifically for the Echo Show. And with the Fire Stick, the, the interface is it's different again because you've got a hell of a lot more space on a telly. So it's like all of these different places that it's popping up on set-top boxes and, and then with screens and in the TVs, it's 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 a, it's the, the voice usage everywhere is obviously the thing that will drive it. But in terms of what's needed and for those kind Kind of like brands and designers and developers and that listening is that it's further kind of um it further demonstrates how screens alongside voice is is going to be where the massive opportunities are and where where there'll be a whole load of work for people to do yeah potentially you you bought a show too for for black friday i i received i was one of the lucky developers who received a show too as part of the alexa program that Alexa rewards. Uh, but I actually went out and bought a Google Home Hub on Black Friday. I haven't had a chance to set it up yet, but I'm looking forward to it. It looks like a really nice device. But I think I think honestly that we're missing probably the most important uh, device that has been released recently, which was the big mouth Billy Bass uh, <laughs> that you can connect with Alexa as well. If you haven't seen this or you don't know it from the 90s, 
this was this old toy where I believe you push the button and this uh, sort of wall mounted fish would start singing. And, and sure enough, they brought it back and you can connect it to an echo. The interesting thing here from a technical perspective is I believe it uses the gadgets API. So the same exact thing that's powering the echo buttons is powering this as well. So you do need an echo device already, but you start to see, you can start to envision, I think it's not just the big mouth belly bass. I think there's a other toys as well that do this too, where using this gadget API adds this new mode of interaction that's beyond just the speaker. Yeah, let me see if I can get a little clip of that. Billy Bass. Yes. What time is it? It's 8.51 p.m. Okay, it's a little bit of an anticlimax because you can't see Billy Bass. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's too bad. But that, but that was that was Billy Bass talking essentially. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so what what you're saying there? Um, skipping back to when we first started talking about reinvent, you were saying that there was there was um, some talks and some discussions around the uh, Alexa presentation language. What's what's the what's the kind of latest on on that at reinvent? I think there's, there was no latest. It's essentially that has been announced very recently. And uh, a lot of these sessions were learning how to use something or even why to use something. And so these sessions were talking about how to use Alexa presentation language to add those rich experiences on the displays. Hmm. Was there any um, kind of like, I'm assuming that the making money with Alexa skills was kind of similar in terms of discussing how you can do it. Was there any examples or further examples of where it's being used? I know we spoke to uh, Nick Schwab uh, over the last kind of couple of months and he he's kind of 150,000 uses a day of his skills and he's got a 90% conversion rate from everyone who tries the premium version. Uh, so of everyone that tries it, 90% of them end up actually making a purchase. So there is one example there of where it's being used. Was there any other kind of case studies or any other information shared in terms of who's using in-skill purchases and, and to what extent? Yeah, for sure. There wasn't a ton of data there. Uh, I think maybe because it's it's fairly new still. Uh, but I know Max from Volley had a presentation. Unfortunately, I was unable to attend, but I do believe that video is up online Uh and he had a presentation in terms of how Volley is using in-skill purchasing for that. There was also a presentation from uh, an internal team on Amazon who wanted to uh, learn more about how people were interacting with in-skill purchases as they were building out the feature. And they said something that I found really interesting. They said many things that I found interesting, but one thing stood, uh, stood out above everything else, which is, to make an in-skill purchase, it's actually a two-step process for the customer. What has to happen is the skill has to essentially request that the customer uh, wants to purchase something, essentially upsell them. And then the second step is it hands off to Amazon, to Alexa specifically, to the Alexa voice, who then handles the pricing, who handles uh, asking the user again if they want to purchase. Uh, so it's a two-step process, and they mentioned that it was counterintuitive to them because you're introducing friction there. But what they found was that it actually aided in overall conversion rates because at a single step, it was just far too much information for the user to handle at once. 
So breaking that up into two separate steps and having the user affirmatively confirm in the middle of it, overall increased conversion rates, uh, perhaps because that information at each single step was smaller. Mm. That's interesting. It's almost like a little bit, it's, there's remnants of the conversation we had with Hans Van Dam there in terms of conversation design where you can, you kind of, if you start a conversation with a lot of positives and quick, short, sharp interactions, then people are more willing to kind of carry on. It's almost as if chunking things up into, into smaller bite-sized bits make things more digestible and easier for people to pass and easier for, for people to kind of get on with. Perhaps, and one thing they didn't mention, but I wonder if this is at play here as well, is uh, I've read several times that people are more likely once they say yes to something to not want to go back on their word. So essentially, if you've uh, asked them to express interest in, in purchasing this in-skill product, once they hear the price, once they hear the details, are they more likely to say yes because they've already said yes and they don't want to be seen as someone who goes against their word. Yeah, that's interesting. That happens in real life when you get accosted in the street by people um, who are either working for um, like either charities or doing a bit of fundraising or generally trying to raise awareness or hand out flyers or whatever the case may be. If if you say, yes, you've got five minutes, then you know even if you are no longer interested in their offer, it's increasingly more difficult to get away from it, isn't right. it? <laughs> Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. Cool. So was there any, any other noticeable or notable um, events at reInvent then? Uh, well, other than the last night's party, which had Skrillex of all people, uh, and there were, there were definitely lots of learning opportunities too. So I would say there were lots of interesting sessions. Uh, one that is perhaps worth calling out specifically was from the text-to-speech team at Amazon. They work on both Alexa and the Poly voices as well. And this is interesting to note because now there's the ability and public access to use Poly voices inside Alexa skills directly within the speech synthesis markup language, the SSML. So here you can pull in a male voice in addition to the Alexa female voice, or you can pull in uh, if you want to sound maybe sophisticated, you can pull in the British voice. I think that's a common thing that American skills do when they want to seem maybe a little bit posh <laughs> is they'll pull that in. Uh, so you have, you have those options now. Uh, and I saw an interesting one uh, from, over, from over the week from the hackathon where they actually use the French voice for a art gallery walkthrough skill. So the French voice really gave this sort of sophisticated, uh, artistic uh, sort of air about it. And so they used that uh, and built that directly into the skill. So now you can have these, not just for games and for different uh, sort of characters for storytelling, but you can use this for different purposes within more serious quote unquote skills as well. Mm. The, if you want to try and make your skills sound sophisticated and use an English accent, you're better off choosing a southern accent 
because <laughs> I'm not sure whether or not my accent sounds too sophisticated. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, I think that that's. I wonder if whether whether that makes a difference to what the conversation we had with Joel Beckerman, where he was talking about, um, you know, using soundscapes and and using uh, and scoring people's experiences and using sound to indicate. Uh, when things are happening and indicate where people are and or- orient people within their experience. Um, because I think that, that the Alexa voice on its own does end up sounding a little bit kind of mundane if you're in, engaging with it for long periods of time. So this is a, is a really good way of kind of spicing things up a li- little bit, isn't it? I'm assuming you can use, because they're available, I'm assuming you can use more than one kind of uh, poly voice within one specific skill. So for example, you can intro it with a female, then uh, ask the next response with a male, and then introduce the French uh, voice. Is that kind of doable? You can introduce different voices within the one skill. Oh. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's just using like any other SSML tag, you just add that in and you specify the voice that you want. Going back to your point earlier about accents, uh, the thing that they mentioned is that they start out with sort of the newscaster voice in each locale. So they're using what is generally high register and generally easy to understand. And the voice that you immediately probably think when you think of a different locale's accent. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting, and and I think that um, just it's just got me thinking there in terms of that kind of like newsreader voice. There is a really interesting uh, article which I'll dig out, which is um, I think it was over in China they developed this. Uh, it's like a, a, a synthesized voice for reading news, and it is unbelievably kind of accurate. Do you know the kind of delivery that newsreaders have? You know, and it's kind of like it just mimics that perfectly. I'll try and see if I can dig out a sample and put it in here because it it's absolutely wicked. This is Speaking Naturally, a news briefing on natural language technology by Cognition X. This is an experimental audio version created by SpeechKit.io. This week's updates give us updated smart speaker shipment numbers, a view on the opportunity of voice in the enterprise, and a top novelist launching his book as a chatbot. Um, but what, what I, going back to what you were saying about you just got the the um, Google Home Hub. I've literally got one of them. Just got one of them myself. And when you compare it to the um, to the Echo Show, one of the things you notice is that actually visually, the Home Hub is far better. You know, in terms of the the graphics and and the use of the screen seems to be far better. So what what. I think the show does really well as it prompts you. So with a screen, you can say try this and try that, and you know it'll show you a picture of a news highlight, and you'll say, um, you know, tell me more or whatever. But then when it actually shows you the news, it just kind of prints the text on the screen, and it just highlights the text as it's reading through it. Um, which kind of every time I've used it, I've been thinking to myself, there is so much opportunity there with the devices with screens to create really, really engaging experiences. Um, and it does it with skills as well. And and, and uh, although the, the VUX World Flash Briefing isn't something that I've managed to sustain that much, whenever, I, whenever I've kind of been testing it and stuff like that, it just it looks visibly worse without graphics there. And it's kind of like, it's, it, it's changed my kind of paradigm. And it's also changed the, the what kind of stuff I actually ask it. So I kind of ask it different stuff to see what I can see in return, do you know what I mean? So it just kind of like confirms to me that the the size of the opportunity with adding visual stuff alongside it um, is absolutely vast. It's really, really interesting. 
Yeah, the, you're right. The home hub is is just beautiful. It's it's really fantastic. With APL, you're going to see a lot more. I think more rich experiences on those screens. Uh, that's an, one area where Alexa is certainly ahead of what you can do with actions on Google. Actions on Google is still sort of in that smartphone mode where the kinds of things that third party developers can do is very much geared just towards chatting with the assistant on a smartphone. So I think you're going to perhaps quickly see, um, at least on the larger brands, like this still is quite a bit of work, building out those APL really rich experiences for the screen. And I think it's difficult as well because screens still don't have a lot of penetration. Uh, it's certainly a lot of people do have the Fire TV stick, especially at that, that price point that they're selling it at. Uh, and so that's going to help a lot. But it's, I think, a hard sort of step for a lot of people make to, to go to the Echo Show uh, when they can buy a dot for $29, 29 euros, whatever the price is in the given locale. So we'll see it, I think. But um, I think I'm maybe a little bit more bearish on the screens than you are, just because I'm perhaps a little more bullish on voice uh, by itself. So I think we've got some opportunity there, but uh, I think we've either got a long ways to go or there's always going to be a lot of opportunity there for voice only. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's it's all about context, isn't it? We say this all the time, you know. Um, I'm kind of the reason I'm I'm that kind of to use your words bullish on 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 the screen devices is simply because you know I spend a bit of time in the kitchen on an evening, a bit of time in a dining room, and it's kind of like that's those are the things that I now interact with as a default in the kitchen and dining room. So I've, I've moved the the other echo into the living room. I've obviously got some in my office up here and, and in the baby's room and that, and all those are kind of voice only. So it's it's I think it's it's the the context is obviously key but what the screen does is that it opens up um um what is it for when you're in the context where you can have a screen rather than doing it on your phone having it just sitting there over in the corner and being able to interact with it in that way it just seems to be you know it seems to have um it's quite appealing yeah, it's really nice to have that option. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's let's wrap up then. I wanted to kind of definitely mention some of the stuff that Google have been up to um, because I've been speaking to a couple of people at Google over the last few weeks and, and you know, they've been experimenting quite heavily with lots of different kind of um, options and they're taking it in a slightly different direction than Amazon. And it's not necessarily, this isn't the environment where we necessarily compare Amazon and Google. We obviously want to kind of pick out what the what the insights are for, for those in the industry. Um, but it's interesting how to see what the experimentation that, that Google Assistant has been doing. Um, one of which is with the Hidden Cities Berlin uh, action, which is is really really interesting. It's a Financial Times, uh, and we're going to get the uh, the designer uh, Nikki Birch on uh, in the new year to discuss this in a bit more detail, because it's it's kind of like an interactive storytelling documentary. Uh, on Google Assistant, and it's the first that thing that I've seen, which is which has taken a documentary format um, and and made a voice voice only or voice first experience within a document documentary and made it interactive as well. Um, so that's it's, it's it's really really interesting. I was playing around with it yesterday. It's uh, it's it's really really uh, exciting stuff. And they've also been playing around with. We mentioned it last time. The partnership with Disney and the um, 
the kind of like read-along stories. So you can read a book to the kid, the mic's open the whole time, there's music on in the background, and when you get to certain points in the story, it recognises that you're at that point, and then it plays different sound effects and stuff like that. Um, they've also got, uh, they've been working with Nickelodeon to introduce like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle sounds for people's alarms and stuff, so you can be woken up by Donatello or whatever. And I know this is all kind of like customer-facing stuff, but what the, the question to, to, I suppose, to you, Justin, for us to discuss is whether or not this kind of stuff that Google are partnership in quite closely with with uh, brands on is going to be something do you think that will open up a bit more broadly you mentioned just then that the the um in terms of the Google Developer um, console and stuff being being heavily geared to, to sort of, uh, or, or relatively, did you mention it was either, either limited or not quite supporting the screen, was that was that it? It's limited in what you know, screen supports. Yeah, screen right. support, yeah, yeah. So I'm just wondering whether this kind of stuff in terms of the, the uh, uh, Disney stories and the Financial Times interactive documentaries and the, the different voices for different uh, either alarms or whatever, um, whether or not we're going to see that kind of, uh, enter the the kind of dev space. Yeah, I, I mean, why not, right? Uh, they're going to want to provide uh, greater tools. Uh, I haven't, I haven't used a, a few of the things that you mentioned, so I can't really speak to it exactly. But you know, I think the the goal there is, if it takes off, then then why not? Why not provide it to to developers so long as it it also uh, makes sense for consumers. What do you think, Kane? Yeah, I think, well, the one in particular thing that, that, that I think will be interesting is to have the feature to leave the mic open. That's what the that's what the Disney Stories thing does, is the mic's open the whole time, and it's kind of listening and listening, and then when it picks up, um, based on what you're saying, obviously the, the, the speech-to-text and that, um, it'll kind of pick up where you're at in the story, and then it'll do something. So I think that having the ability to listen, if, if, if you get the permission to listen, opens up a, an entirely new opportunity when it comes to, to creating experiences and the other thing uh, kind of similar to, in, in related to that in terms of the, the kind of features is that Amazon uh, have released or extended the length of time that you can uh, play audio within Alexa skills so it used to be that you can only play 90 seconds worth of audio they've upped that to 240 seconds so they've more than doubled it Um it's interesting how that will impact use cases and whether that opens up further opportunities for creating uh, different kinds of experiences. Would you reckon, Dustin? Yeah, I think that should be interesting. And then you also saw as well that uh, the Amazon team announced uh, reminders as well, a reminder API. So going beyond just notifications, but actually having something that will interrupt interrupt what the user is doing with Alexa at a at a preset time what we see there as well is that uh it's it's done very deliberately and developers need to very clearly get permission from the user so i think the fact that some of these things are going slowly is probably a good thing because it's going to be in the end done in the right way for users instead of just rushed out there and then later on either walked back or it scares users off Mm, yeah, yeah. Or you end up in a, a situation where, um, you know, something happens, something goes either wrong or some sort of like Cambridge Analytica situation happens and, and there's all hell breaks loose, which ends up kind of affecting not just Alexa, but the whole kind of concept of using your kind of voice to interact with technology in general, doesn't it? 
Exactly, exactly. So uh, I think this is good. People are still getting used to interacting with voice, so they're not going to miss some of these things too much right now. And then when the platform is ready for it, it will be rolled out and uh, people will be very welcome that it's there. Indeed. Well, this has been a pleasure. I think it's been a different kind of rundown. I think that I've really enjoyed finding out a lot more about uh, reInvent and what happened there. And it's kind of been almost a, a, a an episode about reInvent, really, which I've really enjoyed. It's been really interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it's a great place to go. I I highly recommend if you're building for Alexa to check it out. It, it is really is a little bit pricey on the tickets, but it's definitely worth it in terms of the things that you can bring back home with you. Yeah, how much are the tickets? Uh, I think list price is eighteen hundred dollars. Wow. Right, right, <laughs> but it's it's worth it. Yeah. And you'll spend double that in the casinos on the night, I bet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, or maybe you you gain all of it back. Who knows? <laughs> We're good. Well, Dustin, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us again. Um, on the podcast coming up boys and girls me and Dustin are going to be speaking in the next few weeks coming up leading to Christmas we've got Cena Carhen of Vase coming up on the podcast and his theory is that designing for voice is similar to going on a first date <laughs> which is going to be interesting to delve into um, we've got Amy Stapleton of Tellables talking all about interactive story design and with the uh, long awaited episode with John Chu uh, of uh, Jetson AI as well talking about v-commerce so looking forward to that Dustin in the coming weeks yeah me too Kane alright take care that is it for another episode of The Rundown. Thank you Dustin as always for joining us and thank you all for listening until next time See you later.